just one sec we are waiting for the message one sec yeah good evening everyone a very special day because today is 5th of september teachers day and you know it was not easy to find a person who would be more apt to this platform because we've been having lots and lots of people from various backgrounds coming onto the channel sharing their knowledge and today on teachers day we have none other than peter van gaai we are so fortunate for uh, the guy to be here and agreeing to give his time thank you so much peter happy teachers day everyone so uh, yep. before nice before we start yeah. right thanks before we start i'll just tell all the viewers who are joining us for the first time this is a session we call it uh, passion talks we have it every saturday 8 pm and we have had uh, different kind of people here coming for about an hour we have 40 minutes interaction just a request everybody is requested to please keep uh, the mic on mute because so that there is no disturbance whenever peter is saying something he's i think out he's not indoors he's just come back from a run and he has requested someone for focusing the uh, light <laughs> on his face right so with this as a background welcome peter well, first that, and foremost well, let's have introduction right from you know how did it all start well, belgium and all over to you sir yeah well. Well, if you have maybe the slides that I shared, that will be a right. good visual sure, sure. Uh, up on Millen, the yeah. talk. Here they are. Okay, so I prepared like a nice kind of uh, pretty high level because it's so there's so much to talk about. But this is like a short kind of 30-minute overview of my journey, my life uh, towards the mountains, I would say. Uh, so let's get started. So we can bring up the first uh, slides. So starting 48 years ago, uh, when I was born in Belgium, uh, I think I was very fortunate to grow up in like a small, uh, small village, actually, the green outskirts on a farm. I uh, used to always play outside in the water, get dirty in the mud. Uh, my parents used to take me on uh, hikes to the Alps, to the Ardennes, south of Belgium. Uh, so basically, at young age, I was... Uh, uh, deeply exposed to nature, to a lot of physical activities, which I believe was very important because that made a big impression on me and would, uh, I mean, uh, make uh, a big difference for the rest of life, basically. Uh, if we then go a little bit fast forwarding to the next slide. Uh, so, I, basically, I finished my education, my Master's of computer, computer Engineering in Belgium, worked only for two years there. And then my manager asked me, Peter, uh, uh, we are not able to find uh, software engineering talent in uh, Europe. Uh, are you interested to go to India for a year, uh, recruit a team there, and uh, start up a small uh, a software development team? So I agreed to that. Uh, India was completely new to me. I only knew India from those uh, Discovery Channel and <laughs> National Geographic, which gives a little bit of a different picture than uh, the real India. So, but then immediately, I mean, as soon as I came to this place for work, you know, that was just a matter of Monday to Friday, I really fell in love with the natural beauty of the Indian subcontinent, the diversity, right? The Himalayas, the Western Ghats, the deserts of Rajasthan, uh, the tropical beaches of Goa. So immediately I bought myself one of these Enfield uh, bullets here. This is the Lightning 535, the predecessor of the... Uh, of the other model that came later then. And uh, within the first two years, I'd, I'd finished some 50,000 kilometers on these wheels, mostly solo. Did some uh, couple of trips to the Himalayas here. This uh, picture is uh, in uh, the Nubra Valley with the uh, Kardung line in the background in the year 2000. And that was really amazing. I mean, I was uh, so excited to roam around uh, in the lesser known places. Uh, then again, fast forwarding 10 years uh, in the next slide. Uh, I got into trekking initially. We did a couple of these hikes around Chennai with some friends from the office. But soon um, I really fell in love with like those virgin jungles and beautiful mountains, the Western Ghats, the Eastern Ghats. And I, I really wanted some I mean, company, like-minded people to join me on these journeys. So I just posted a couple of completed treks, uh, blogged about it, posted some pictures and then put a simple link, anyone interested to join. Please click on this link, created a mailing list. And then it was unbelievable. Within two months, I uh, had like uh, hundreds of people joining every single month almost. We had 2,000 members in the first year. Uh, eventually, we grew to 40,000 people over 10 years. Uh, 
so this was in the year 2008, by the way. And uh, so initially we started with trekking. Uh, Chennai Trekking Club was, was really nice. It was not commercial. It was like a pure, pure volunteer-based uh, group, non-profit. And uh, the ambience, the culture was amazing. Uh, some people who have participated in, in our sports events, the triathlons or the ultra runs would have experienced uh, the volunteering culture, uh, which you don't really see in, in, a, in a more commercial kind of event. Uh, so initially we did trekking, a lot of trekking in the first couple of years, but then very soon to the next slide, we started uh, getting into, so here you can see some outdoor pictures in the Eastern Ghats. Um, many people were surprised. I was pretty good with map reading. So I was able to find these beautiful unexplored uh, mountains within a couple of hours from Chennai that nobody in Chennai had seen for, the, for decades before. Uh, Google Maps also came with some terrain maps, which uh, give us a clear idea on the topography and stuff. And then, like, within two months, every week, every single weekend of the year, we had, like, 20, 30 uh, people joining, mix of uh, regulars as well as new people. And it was an amazing journey. This was really exploration in the wild. Uh, no trails, uh, just uh, using GPS and uh, maps um, to go through these unexplored places, through the wilderness, climbing over rocks, swimming through streams. So a lot of adventure. I mean, uh, I, Chennai had a huge IT crowd who really... After sitting like five days behind a computer screen Monday to Chennai, really badly needed a little bit of outdoors uh, during the weekends. So, so then after a couple of years in the next slide, we started getting into sports. Uh, we started swimming, we started running, we started mountain biking. And then from simple 20 people going to a trek in the forest, we started organizing big sports events. Initially, here you can see the Javad Ultra. Uh, getting people, I mean, being nature lovers, we got people out of the cities. We didn't organize like the city marathons, but took people to the trails in the mountains, Javadu, Kodai, uh, the Chennai Trail Marathon, and uh, started pushing the limits. Uh, we started organizing these ultra races, uh, 50K, 75, 100K, to really allow people really to discover their uh, inner potential. I mean, push the boundaries and... and do things that they, they could never dream of, especially Chennai is a little bit conservative towards sports and outdoors. So over the years, we were able to uh, change the culture of Chennai, like uh, to really, I mean, a lot of getting a lot of people into different types of sports. In the next slide, we also had then the triathlons. I think starting in 2012, we started doing triathlons again, a bit closer to nature. Use those big uh, quarries outside the cities, um, beautiful like Blue Lagoon kind of open waters to organize the swim, then uh, cycle in the outskirts on the highways, and then again run in, in beautiful natural settings. So I think we were one of the first in India to do the full iron, uh, probably in 2014, I guess. And this was again like purely volunteer based. Uh, I think we just charged 600 rupees <laughs> for a full iron, which is a little bit less than uh, like a 42K international item, man. And the, uh, yeah, I mean, at the peak somewhere in 2017, I guess we had like thousand people coming from all, all over India. I think there were some 50 cities participating in uh, Olympic, whole Iron, Full Iron, uh, all different levels. So we got a lot of people into open water swimming, into cycling and running through these uh, twice a year, almost five big events in a year, you can say, running and triathlon events and also swimathons. And then on the next slide, uh, yeah, obviously as, as uh, somebody who spends, people who spend a lot of time close to nature, whether it's say to triathlons or to hiking events or photography, we also quickly started create, uh, caring of, uh, of nature, right? So we saw a lot of polluted places, especially the touristic places um, like Tada waterfalls, like the beaches of Chennai. So we really wanted to create a lot of aware, uh, environmental awareness amongst the uh, uh, the city, actually, the citizens. So we started organizing this Chennai coastal cleanup uh, for almost 10 years. Uh, well, within a time span of just, I think, two hours on a Sunday morning, 10,000 volunteers would collect like 50 tons of garbage from 20 kilometer of beaches. And uh, over the years, that really worked. I mean, if you look at the beaches of Chennai now, it's it's like so pretty clean compared to uh, uh, the state you can see it like uh, many years back. Uh, the next uh, important was the running, actually. So somewhere in 2013, I started kind of falling in love with running after being at first a biker, then uh, more like a cyclist, then a hiker, and then finally uh, a bit more minimalistic to uh, running. 
uh, initially again in the city, 10 by 10s, uh, then hill runs in the weekends in south. But very soon, I was doing these ultra runs, like here, uh, a 700-kilometer run from uh, Shimla to Jammu to the beautiful uh, Spiti and Pangi Valley there. So those were amazing events, I mean, uh, especially sometimes solo, uh, like almost like a spiritual journey. And the magnitude of the Himalayas uh, was very overwhelming. The landscape, uh, running by yourself for 50k every day, uh, sleeping anywhere where the set, sun sets down in, in, at the end of the day, uh, taking a bath in the streams and the waterfalls along the way, carrying a small backpack with a tarpaulin sheet and a blanket to sleep anywhere. Uh, in the nights, picking up food along the villages. Com so completely self-supported and very satisfying, actually. Uh, really able, I mean, to quickly scale up from uh, a 10K run to uh, this kind of events in, uh, I think, just some two, two three years. Uh, and then a big moment in my life was the next flight. And so after spending uh, like two decades in a cubicle, I, eventually I ended up working in Cisco. Uh, sorry for the background noise, uh, a little bit of touristic and um, Pondi here. So after two decades in a five by five feet cubicle, uh, I was thinking like, uh, yeah, I had all these amazing experiences in the, in the weekends and my three, four uh, weeks of corporate holidays in the year going to the Himalayas. So I, I gotten a taste of freedom and, and, and running freely in the mountains, minimalistic. So. I could not imagine myself anymore spending another two, three decades in, in a cubicle and, and basically uh, end up uh, growing old and only remembering the commute to office, sitting in meetings and uh, basically daily routine, which was kind of like a mental killer. So I made a big uh, decision then in uh, July 2017 to quit this well-paying job. I was earning lakhs in a month. Uh, buying a lot of things, earning a lot, burning a lot, but I was not really feeling happy. So I really wanted to quit this uh, city life and, and corporate life and, and become a more minimalistic person, just traveling full time in the mountains. So in the next slide, then my first really big journey, I would say, I call them ultra journeys, like uh, a little bit of long distance uh, endurance journeys was a 2,000-kilometer solo run through the uh, beautiful mountains somewhere in northwest uh, Vietnam, close to the border with China, where I ran for 50 days, like a 40K a marathon every day. And uh, that was a unique experience. I was solo, obviously, because nobody had to. Everybody was working. All my buddies uh, could not join me for such a long uh, run. Uh, but it was an amazing experience, both in terms of natural beauty and then going really solo, losing the fear and losing actually the need for social contact, just roaming uh, self-sufficient also through the mountains and experiencing a lot of humanity, a lot of hospitality. Out of 50 days, I would have stayed uh, 45 days with local people, tribal mountain tribes, sleeping in bamboo huts with the local people, experiencing uh, amazing hospitality, drinking nice Vietnamese vodka <laughs> along the way. It was such an overwhelming experience that uh, I think I really found uh, what I wanted to do the rest of, of my life then. So in the next slide, uh, just like a more recent escapade was uh, post-monsoon last year. After I came back from the Himalayas, I uh, did some 200 forts say, of Shivaji, Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaj in Maharashtra. You have this uh, Sahyadri is there, the port of the Western Ghats, which is more volcanic. So there you have these steep pinnacles and uh, mixed with a lot of history. You have like three, four hundred forts built in the uh, 16th and 17th century to fight off the invasions of the Mughals. Mughals. And uh, so it was amazing, I mean, to basically run between these uh, forts. These forts were spread out all the way from Nasik to Mahableshwar, over thousands of kilometers running and later also a little bit of biking on the highways. I'm not much of a fan of running on highways. Uh, biking between these forts and then climbing them up and then getting down and, and doing like 200 of those uh, in just like two months, which uh, most people would not do even in a lifetime. But then uh, the, the main ultra journey that I was doing for the last two years was the next slide, which was the Trans-Himalayan journey. So I'd spend a lot of uh, time hiking, obviously, as part of Chennai Truck in the trekking club in South, which is more like low altitude, the Western Ghats, jungles, wilderness, 
So the Himalayas were quite new to me. Uh, I had never actually ventured, especially not solo, uh, into these high ranges, right? High altitude where the uh, both the terrain as well as the, uh, the uh, weather becomes more extreme as you go to higher altitudes. So in 2018, I did the first one. And then getting more confidence, I did a bigger one last year where I spent uh, the entire summer covering some 3,500 kilometers with like uh, more than the distance it was about the climbing. I did some uh, 160,000 meter elevation gain, uh, which is I think somewhere like seven, 15 times the, uh, the height of Mount Everest. Of course, not the altitude wise, but in terms of elevation gain. And I was able to actually finish uh, for four months almost one single high pass per day, <laughs> which was quite heavy. But other than it, people who spend two weeks and finish one pass, uh, the, the benefit was that I, I was there for a long period. So after my initial acclimatization during the initial days, I was fully acclimatized and I was picking off passes like very fast, uh, not really running, but more like fast hiking, going very minimalist, just carrying four kilograms of uh, backpack with me with a shelter to keep myself warm in this kind of extreme uh, cold climate in the nights. And then also, again, experiencing amazing, overwhelming hospitality in uh, some 300-plus uh, remote hamlets, uh, shepherds, mountain tribes that I, I was passing through. So if you go to the next slide, you can just see my route here, I think. You know, the, here you can see the Western Himalayas. You have Uttarakhand on the bottom right. Uh, bottom left, you have Himachal. And then on the top, you have Ladakh, Sanska, Lahol. So here you can see the, the red points, which are like passes, and then the blue points, which are like um, very remote villages where I used to resupply my food. And sometimes it's uh, many, many nights stay with the locals. Um, if you go to the next slide again. Uh, so planning out, this was quite a bit of planning. I mean, the kind of passes I was doing, like which you could see in the first slide, was kind of completely non-touristic, more like exploring unknown routes used only by shepherds um, you didn't see any other hikers there uh, except for like say Ladakh and Dharmasala there I was seeing a couple of European hikers but otherwise I was mostly on my own uh, sometimes just following the footsteps of these shepherds who take like large uh, herds of sheep across these treacherous passes uh, not all the sheep make it alive because the terrain is like quite steep and uh, Landslides are there, screes are there, glaciers are there, uh, moraines, uh, crevices. So quite an overwhelming experience. So here you see my planning sheets listing all the 120 passes. For every pass you basically end, kind of, you, you don't know it's all new. So you just estimate how many days it will take, then pack up enough food uh, to uh, uh, make it to the next village on the other side of the mountain range, where again you resupply food. And then, uh, yeah, so, so try to find a sort of shepherd or some rock shelter uh, for the, every night uh, to kind of safely camp in the wild. So next slide, um, yeah, here you can see the luggage. So most of the hikers, I mean, everybody I encountered there, uh, especially in Ladakh, where you have a lot of Europeans uh, hiking, uh, most of them with guides, also a couple of guys uh, self-supported, self-navigated. Most people go with these 60-liter backpacks, 25 kg of luggage, and people really struggle with that weight. So being an ultra runner, my built-in instinct was to go light. Even though the climate is a little extreme, I was able to find some really light lightweight gears, like a BV instead of a tent, not carrying a cooking stove, but just using like dry horse poop and yak poop with, sprinkled with kerosene to prepare my food. So optimizing in several ways uh, to kind of get that... 25 kg to just four kilograms, uh, which allowed me to go very fast, uh, doing almost four, four to five times the distance that an average hiker would do in this kind of uh, very steep terrain. Uh, next, um, so here you can see the kind of terrain, right? So it's not like a Hamta Pass or like a, like a Rukkun track, a nice uh, alpine trail through the grassland. This is like really uh, almost semi-mountaineering, not technical, of course. But uh, a little bit tricky, I mean, uh, also finding the way. I mean, you, there's no trail here. You just look, try to find exposed soil and, and sheep poop and uh, rural undocumented passes. The uh, Mathura, I think your speaker is on. 
so you basically was requiring a lot of planning actually, map reading, looking at satellite maps, photographic maps to find my way in this kind of undocumented uh, terrain. Okay, next slide. So in terms of navigation, I use this offline, it's a bit more technical, use this offline open street maps. Did a lot of planning myself, weeks went into planning of trails. Uh, where is the pass? How do you reach the pass? Where is the last village? How do you reach from there to the pass? How much food you, should you carry? Uh, so I was carrying fully offline maps on my phone, uh, putting the flight, uh, the phone in flight mode to save battery. And uh, yeah, basically trying to find the way in, in the middle of nowhere, sometimes five, six days away from any nearby human settlements. So very exciting. I mean, it's always a lot of thrill and adventure to explore something than uh, follow a well-defined uh, touristic trail. In the next slide then, uh, yeah, so on the ground also, sometimes you follow human footsteps, sometimes you follow horse poop in Ladakh. You have these cairns in the top right, piles of rocks that show the way in Ladakh, Zanskar. And then on the passes there at the bottom, you can see these Tibetan prayer flags in Ladakh, Zanskar, Lahol with those piles of rocks again that guide you towards it, the point where you cross over from one uh, valley to the next valley uh, across a mountain range. So if you go to the next slide, <clears throat> yeah, so here you can see those typical ranges. So this is the Pirpanjal that separates uh, Lahol from uh, Chamba Valley. It's like a big wall, 5,000 meter high mountains that actually block also the monsoon. The monsoon will hit this range and uh, Anything beyond this becomes like a high-altitude high desert, like uh, Ladakh and Lahore like, don't receive much rain because of these high uh, walls that block uh, any rain coming in. So here and there you have this U-shape, this saddle, where you have a path that allows you to cross uh, quite steeply from one, uh, from the, say, the south here, Chamba Valley, to the north, Pangi or uh, Lahore. Uh, if you go to the next slide then, so here you can see the kind of steepness of the terrain. You can see like almost a one kilometer long uh, line of... Uh, let me just move a little. Yeah, the smoker gang coming in. So almost a one kilometer long uh, line here of say like thousand sheep uh, going to almost a near vertical stretch. Uh, and finding actually almost like uh, an crossing like a thousand meter drop, usually from the pass to the, the base where again you set uh, foothold on some uh, meadows uh, to like very steep terrain. I mean, it's amazing how the shepherds actually navigate through this kind of terrain with such a large uh, crowd of animals. Out of thousands of animals, um, 40 to 50 usually do, do not make it alive, either because of weather, cold weather, or uh, rocks falling down in this kind of uh, very fragile terrain, which has also become worse uh, due to climate change in recent years. So next slide then, yeah, so here we can maybe play the video domo. This is like a walk on one of these glaciers below the passes, the Chobia uh, Pass, just to give you an idea of the terrain. No, maybe the computer sound is not enabled, but anyway, you can just look at the visuals also. I think you need to have an option in Google Meet to uh, mix the computer sound, yeah. I think it's a Google Meet setting somewhere. This is the Chobia Glacier. So you can see those deep cuts, mostly due to uh, climate change over the last decades. Uh, glacier is actually pretty easy to cross with solid ice. But here you can see these like very deep uh, cuts formed by meltwater. So especially again as a solo hiker going through this, right, it's uh, one wrong step you end up. And uh, obviously, uh, there's nobody there to know what happened <laughs> or rescue, so that would be the end of it. Again, I mean, there's absolutely no route marking here. Uh, shepherds don't blog or they don't use running watches <laughs> to record their route. So, you know, basically completely uh, doing trail tracking, following sheep, sheep poop to find the way through these uh, sometimes very vast uh, sheets of ice. These are like kilometer-long uh, sheets of ice, which... Um, during peak summer and then midday, cause a lot of meltwater actually. So the streams, streams uh, originating from below these glaciers or like thundering 
very dangerous water currents that uh, sometimes are almost impossible to cross. Um, voila, now yeah, maybe we can proceed to the next slide. Voila, and this is my typical campsite. So no tent, tents are too heavy. Uh, just a nice uh, warm quilt here, uh, which is like a sleeping bag, which is again pretty light, open on the base, and then a sleeping mat, thermocoil mat. Uh, finding mostly a place uh, be in a, in, a, in a shelter or behind a boulder here to cut out the cold wind in the night, be safe from the rain. Uh, here you see a picture near the, uh, at 5,000 meter altitude near the Kangla Pass, which is one of those big passes to cross the Great Himalayan range connecting uh, Zanskar with uh, Lahol. Uh, you're at least like three, four days away in any direction <laughs> from any human settlement. So amazing, actually. A solo it really makes the journey so much more intense. Uh, there's nobody around you, all by yourself. Uh, initially, a little scary. The landscape is very overwhelming. Uh, places like Ladakh and Zanskar are like you're walking on a different planet. The uh, gradient, the texture of the rocks is like it completely looks unearthly. Uh, but once you overcome that initial fear or lack of social contact, it's, it's really a very intense and almost like a spiritual experience to roam all by yourself in these uh, amazing places, actually. Uh, next, next slide. Voila, and this is, I mean, in addition to the, the, to the adventure, in addition to the beautiful, raw, and touched nature where you don't find anybody else, you had is also this same element which I had also encountered in, in say, Maharashtra or Vietnam or Thailand. I've done some long uh, journeys. Himalayas also, you have these, these are the kings of the mountains. You can see the shepherds there with like seven and the sheep behind them. So at the end of the day, after you burn uh, six to 7,000 calories, uh, doing 3,000 meter elevation gain with your backpack over very, very tough terrain. I mean, sometimes you just take one step and you slide down two steps in loose cree and moraines. So burn a lot of energy, but then at the end of the day, if you see a campfire there and you get the sound of sheep, then you know, okay, you're in good hands. Hospitality, uh, they, they, they go milk one of the sheep, make fresh tea start uh, preparing rotis on the campfire, put it with lots of ghee. So that gives you a uh, daily dose of, uh, you can call it sports nutrition, uh, which uh, with all the pristine environment that you're constantly in, you drink from the, the streams, the mountain streams, you drink from the meltwater of the glaciers, you breathe this fresh, unpolluted oxygen, uh, not for a, a week, not for a weekend, but like for four or five months, so you're actually at the peak of your health, uh, peak performance, uh, good organic food. Uh, and then you basically lie down with these guys, you listen to some nice Hindi songs on a 20-year-old Philips radio, uh, feel the glow of the campfire when uh, the temperature starts dropping to minus uh, outside you. Uh, you hear the shepherd's dogs uh, protecting the herd, maybe if some snow leopards are coming close. And then you lie on your back on a on a sheep on a sheet of uh, wool wool sheep, I mean on sheep wool. You look up and, and you at 4,000 uh, plus meter altitude, you see basically the the Milky Way on top of you, very clear. The the dust of the galaxy. It's it's like an all of this world experience really. So moving on to the next one. Yeah, so here you can also play a nice video of like a huge herds of sheep descending from the Chorasi Pass in Chamba Valley. So here again, I was completely by myself, absolutely nothing, not a single sound uh, till the base of this pass here in the background. And then all of a sudden you hear a little bit of sound in the background. And uh, before you know it, like this huge line, uh, more than 1,000 sheep here with 10 shepherds and some 10 dogs guarding the crowd coming down from a pretty steep pass up there, still covered by snow at the beginning of the winter, sorry, beginning of the summer. As they migrate from the villages at uh, the base of the Himalayas, they do grace the entire summer in these uh, nutritious high alt altitudes, uh, alpine meadows full of natural goodness. Uh, which, as they say, gives like much better quality milk, much better quality foods when they then uh, sell some of the animals at the end of the season. And then here you can see the Gujars, like amazing people, like totally disconnected from modern society, no electricity, no mobile networks, no roads, uh, no money actually. People here completely still live very sustainable, fully 
self-supported, self-sustained, sorry. Uh, I guess even if the global economy crashes and we will all be uh, crying, we will all be in trouble, uh, these people won't even uh, be bothered. Uh, They're living completely uh, on their own, disconnected from the modern days of living and, and like extremely innocent people, very nice people. As soon as they see you coming, especially as a solo hiker, they uh, they really um, I mean show you as take you in as as one of their own family. They give you foods, they give you a place to stay, a warm uh, woolen yakskin or sheepskin to sleep under the cold nights. They they typically also live together with their animals in some kind of semi-open or rock shelter. So amazing experience and yummy yummy foods that really replenishes those. Uh, Six to seven thousand cal- uh, kilocalories that you lost <laughs> again during the day. So yeah, another thing in the mountains is that hey, here in the city it's all like okay, you sleep at midnight, you Facebook, you Instagram. There actually you align your daily life cycle to the sun cycle. You settle down when the sun sets down. You automatically get up when the sun sets up. Uh, so you get this solid sleep, um, hey, like fresh air. Uh, 10, 12 hours a day. So that also allows you to recover and keep doing these extreme activities day after day for uh, like months all together. So then the next slide here is a little bit of cooking. So normally I don't cook. I just carry some ready-made food with me from the last village uh, for at least two days. And if it's really more than two days to the next village, I carry like a little bit of white oats or rice. And then uh, I just uh, two kilometers before I settle down in some place, pick up some dry poop, some uh, rocks. Of course, in high altitude deserts like Lahol and Zanskar, you don't find wood to burn. So you you pick up dry poop and sprinkle a little bit of kerosene and you have a nice sustainable fire to cook some yummy food at the end of the day. And then I guess the, next, the last slide here, the financial aspect. So, uh, I mean, people ask me, how do you manage financially? First of all, I mean, once you leave the city, once you start living, most of your time in the mountains, uh, life becomes very simple and very cheap, very minimalistic, uh, not minimalistic only from a gear's point of view, but also minimalist from a financial point of view. Nobody is interested in your money, actually. You hardly pay 50 rupees for a plate of momos or a plate of chapatis. So you can easily manage like 200 rupees a day. Uh, last summer, I just spent 20,000 rupees for the entire summer, uh, like uh, four months, 120 days, crossing 120 passes. So basically spending just 200 rupees per pass rather than going with a commercial group, which would uh, ask you like even 10 to 15,000 rupees for a single pass. So being to really, being Alpine style, self-independent, uh, uh, being your own guides, uh, carrying your own shelter, uh, you can, I mean, live very economically in the mountains, um, which uh, in my case, I have a home in Chennai, rented instead of living in the city, I prefer to live in the mountains and then, rent out my house in Chennai, which uh, covers this minimal expense uh, more than sufficiently to uh, keep doing this, I think, for the rest of uh, short life, basically. Uh, I think that's probably the last slide, Romal, if you can take a look. Yeah, so I think that gives you like a pretty high level overview squeezed in 30 minutes. Uh, Maybe we can take out some questions now. So Peter, amazing journey, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't digest, you know, since I've been following you for so long on Facebook, Instagram and all, but then all this was uh, full of, you know, amazing experiences I could just gather. But tell me one thing, you know, as we say, you know, man is a social animal. And Chennai, you have a lot of people, a lot of groups from there to complete solitude, wherein you don't have anyone close by, you know, going Himalayas, other locations. How does these two things match? You know, from a That's group a of 50 people going out for trek to this. That's a good question. Like in Chennai Trekking Club, uh, we always went out there with big groups. And then we, I mean, that's one time. It was not just about the weekend. It's like every day doing open water swimming practice, doing cleanups. So you had like 50 volunteers that you saw on a daily basis almost. Uh, so then indeed it was a stark contest. I mean, of course, switching to these long journeys, uh, most of my friends, they, they were stuck in office or they were stuck in, in, in family obligations. So there would not, not be anyone who would be able to join me anyway. 
but it was like an interesting experience. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed the company. That's why I started the Chennai Trekking Club to connect with like-minded souls to go out, which normally makes it more interesting than going by yourself. But in the last three years now, doing this long endurance journeys, I've really come to uh, really enjoy being a solo. It, it really means complete freedom. You can go on your own pace. You can stop wherever you want. You can take a left, take a right anywhere you want. Uh, you're not really, I mean, alone. There's no solitude because you'll always find uh, some shepherd roaming in, in the remotest corners of the Himalayas. And uh, as I mentioned, I mean, going alone is, is a different experience. Uh, apart from the freedom, it's also like you're more connected to your surroundings. You're not chit-chatting with people. It's like uh, you're, you're there. It's you, just you and the wild. So you're much more connected. You're much more aware of what's happening around you. You have a high, higher sense of... Uh, presence what's what's there uh, maybe a little scary at least but i mean i'm now so used to it that i can just sleep in the middle of nowhere alone even in the wild uh, with all kind of those nocturnal noises uh, wild dogs howling in the distance uh, bears maybe roaming around it doesn't bother me anymore it's 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 like i said a little bit spiritual it's it allows me to find a lot of inner peace it's not so, initially it's about the numbers and the, and the, the pace and the the distance, but now it's more become of uh, the experiences and, and the inner peacefulness that I get from these long journeys that uh, really um, make them so amazing. And, and now my preference is actually to continue doing this solo uh, because, yeah, physically there are not too many people which will be able to keep up, uh, especially when I'm there for a couple of months and I'm like super acclimatized. So a guy joining from sea level, <laughs> he will be gone instantly. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, people from South, I mean, my Chennai buddies are not too, uh, <laughs> too resistant to the extreme cold weather there. More than the terrain, I mean, many of the guys are physically very solid ultra runners, but uh, it's typically a shock I see for many people to kind of uh, survive in this uh, extreme weather, especially. Right. So, Peter, another thing, you know, as we all know, this is damn risky. The video also which you're showing, any slip, you're no yeah. more. You know, and there have been so many people who have lost their lives. I remember one of my friends, you know, I would call him friend, Mali Masan Babu, alpinized, uh, you know, again, he went like this, minimalist. So, doesn't that bother you, the kind of risk which is involved in all such activities? That's a good point. I mean, uh, if you're solo, at least, I mean, some people say you should actually be three. If anything happens to one of the three, one guy can support him there and the third guy can get help. So, but yeah, again, it's it's a matter that you don't have choice here. So nobody has those five, six months available to join you. A couple of guys joined me in the team for maybe 10 days. Uh, but then again, it never worked that easy, right? Because you're in the middle of nowhere. The people are not acclimatized. Uh, after they travel from south to north, up and down, plus acclimatization, then hardly any days are left to join me. So... But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a risk. I mean, and more than the terrain, I would see, based on my experiences, so I've, I've been in a couple of life and death situations. Uh, more than the terrain, I would say, it's, it's the weather. It's the weather, which is, it's, as you go higher to four, five, six thousand meters, weather is very volatile, uh, especially in the afternoons. Uh, you lose that stable morning weather window. You get in whiteouts, sudden whiteouts. You don't, you miss the trail. You're completely stuck on all sides and, and near vertical drops. Uh, you have sudden rain. You cannot get wet there, or, or you'll have hyperthermia. You'll have uh, in peak summer these uh, glaciers which melt at a huge level and cause these very dangerous stream currents that are very risky to cross. So it's it's indeed yeah. It's not easy, but then again, I mean, at this moment, I've now spent six months, 5,000 kilometers, 150 passes. So I've gained a lot of experience to assess whether uh, a certain situation is is safe. Is it really, uh, is there too much of danger here that uh, I make a call and maybe out of 120 passes last summer, there might have been some three where I said, okay, here it's not worth it. Rather than taking too much of chance, it's better to take a U-turn. It's very disappointing, of course, to walk back for three days again. To the last village instead of crossing that final hundred meter you see the pause in front of you but it's it's too risky rocks might fall uh so Absolutely. but yeah i'm a little i mean you become used to that and it's better to enjoy this for uh, three more decades than uh, taking too much of chances there but sometimes it's it's really tough like crossing these streams you cannot really assess the depth or the, the current of yeah. the water you cannot assess encounters with wildlife 
So there's definitely always the, the risk involved that something might happen. But then again, I mean, I'm, I've reached a kind of level where I face, I mean, if death uh, stares me in the eyes, I'm, I'm not too nervous anymore. I would rather die peacefully somewhere on, uh, on in those kind of places than getting overrun with a, by an auto in Chennai City, I would say. <laughs> That's a valid point. No, uh, one more thing which came to mind once uh, you were sharing your views and the presentation was, I was going through a course recently on cross-cultural communication in one of the subjects. So wherein, you know, they had a lot of survey wherein foreigners come to India, they have a different opinion altogether, you know. No one would have an opinion, the kind of opinion you have, because they come to India, they see a lot of dirt, they see a lot of different kind of people, you know. Yeah. What is your way of explaining India? Because you've been the biggest ambassador of adventure I've ever seen, you know, and that too, you belong to Belgium, you came to India, you've been spending so much time in Himalayas and all. So what do you say to someone who asks you about the country? No, I think most of the Europeans, they, they are so used to uh, the developedness, you can say, call it the uh, comfort, they have, the level of comfort they have least. I would call it a little bit of overdevelopment because Peter has, people have become a little um, hey, too much expecting, too many rules, too many gu guidelines, lack of freedom, I don't think. Uh, India is a little bit more chaotic, I agree, a little bit dirtier and not just the dirt, I mean, the, less adherence to rules and all. But I like the aspect of India, two major aspects. One is the, the freedom, it's like, uh, it's much more wild here also, you have really these virgin forests, mountains. People are extremely warm, uh, whether it's north or south, especially getting away from the cities towards these remote places, you experience amazing hospitality, partly probably also because you're a solo traveler. Uh, if you're barging in with 10 guys in a village, <laughs> they will be less likely to host you. Uh, so that's something I, I, I cannot imagine expecting in Europe. And, and now after 20 years in India, whenever I go to Europe, I quickly get bored there because the place is so dead, the place is so dull. The people have become too kind of, how to say, too kind of, hey, like too much of comfort and, and too disconnected with with, uh, with the roots, I would say. Exactly. India much closer also still a lot of farming villages are there people living closer to nature uh so i feel much more alive in in a place like india which is much more raw and much more virgin uh, and also a lot of young people a lot of dynamism a lot of colorfulness uh, life feels like a, a different frequency here to europe which has become a little bit uh, of age and a little bit over the over the over the uh, over the hill, I guess you could say. Wonderful, you know, amazing. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, Peter. That's that the opinion of me. Uh, you're you're correct. If like ninety five uh, hundred people come to India, ninety five will uh, run back very quickly to their comfort yes. zone in Europe. Uh, very few people. Uh, I, I know quite a few guys. Even now, I have two foreigners with me. Uh, you can see the attitude of these people is different. They are open-minded, they are chilled out, and, and they can take these intercultural changes. And they really uh, enjoy India for its diversity and its dynamic. Uh, but many people, they have lost, they are really stuck up in the place where they are born, and they cannot step out of that uh, place, that, that culture that, that they have grown up to, which is, is a little bit more narrow-mindedness, I would say, and lack of, uh, I mean, flexibility also. Wonderful, you know, in fact, you know, uh, to tell you frankly, my elder daughter was also amazed. She wasn't able to digest, you know, why would somebody leave Belgium and settle <laughs> down in India? So, yeah. that's, I'm sure they have their own opinion, that's agreed. So, I have lots and lots of questions, but then we'll take the questions from the viewers, otherwise they're going to kill me, you know. He can yeah, yeah. ask you something. So, there is this question from Siddharth Rawat. He wants to ask, you know, going all out for like 50 days during ultra running 2000 kilometers and all, how do you keep your nutrients, salts, those kind of balances in life? Yeah, so that's why I'm, I mean, eh, when you talk about endurance and sports and triathlon, eh, most people talk a lot, a lot about uh, like eh, specialized sports, foods and energy to complement in the salts and the, and doggy was running away. And uh, <laughs> what sugars and whatever uh, during those those high intensity uh, days for me it's also quite intense and it's more like the elevation, the weather, and the 
the treacherous uh, terrain that that really burns a lot of calories sometimes you walk through like uh, waist deep snow and and if you need one hour to even cross a few hundred meters and you're burning so much of calories because of the cold and because of the intensity to to move through that snow or move across those uh, boulders moraines which are the size of lorries you're feeling like a small ant in a huge terrain so but that's what i was saying i mean uh, mostly i end up at least every couple of days in, in very good company with the gujars with the mountain tribes the shepherds uh these guys even the the small the farming hamlets they they all farm they make they grow their own food so organic very nutritious uh you have the rotis you have lots of ghee you have this uh, undiluted goat milk so that gives you so much of energy that uh together with the good sleep number two and together with three like very very good pure environment pure air uh, pure water that you drink i mean the water that i drink in the himalayas is, is so you can feel the life in that if i come to the city and drink from these chemically treated bubble tops it it feels like death there's no life in, in that water yeah. anymore so that really gives you a boost and then yeah mostly i'm being a belgium i'm a little bit addicted to sugar and chocolate so whenever i pass through a village i carry some whatever skits kit kats and some haldiram peanuts salted peanuts to maybe lose uh complement some of the lost salts and sugars but nothing specialized because obviously when you're there for months and months you cannot really carry specialized uh, nutrition you need to rely on the locally available foods of course right so next question is from vignesh but he wants to you know there would have been lots and lots of times wherein you have lost your way in jungles or you know various terrains all alone so how have you faced such a situation to find your way out Also, I mean, having roamed uh, as part of the Chennai trekking club, I should have taken some ten thousand people over ten years into these jungles. In a jungle, it's more challenging, I would say, right? Because you don't have visibility, and in South India, it's all heavy vegetation. You also have much more wildlife, and in those high barren Himalayas. Uh, so we have become pretty comfortable with terrain, topography, uh, finding the way, how to navigate without trails. Uh, of course when you go to the himalayas you have to be careful because okay in the western ghats you can take a shortcut you can get into a valley get on a ridge and and cross over to whatever target you're heading to himalayas it's it's indeed risky when you lose the usually the trail or the ancient route which is used by shepherds or generations of villagers commuting across these high passes it sometimes becomes impossible you you I've lost the route a couple of times mostly because I take some being a, a fast guy i really try to do a lot of these passes in a single day sometimes pushing it over the pass in the afternoon which is a mistake because the, in the afternoon the weather changes and suddenly you have a white out you only see 2 meter in front of you and and yeah you lose all visibility and forget it you you're not going to be able to trace your trail anymore so you get stuck you try to find a way and sometimes you you really get stuck in very steep terrain that you're uh, you see you're just like 200 meter away from uh, shepherd then on the other side of the valley but there's like a 100 meter drop in between you and and that's valley and uh, you end up in very tricky situations where without technical gears ropes you you end up climbing on these near vertical descents uh, to get down on on the base of the valley again holding on to little protruding rocks and and little trees and branches and hoping again uh, you feel the the your heart beating fast in your throat uh which normally doesn't happen too fast anyway for me <laughs> so but still there are moments where you feel yeah. the adrenaline rushing and then finally when you put that final footstep on the solid ground again you feel okay I, i'm not going to die today <laughs> i have another day to live uh <laughs> you need to be careful you need to be really good with map reading to and topographic maps to understand the, the steepness of the terrain and and um uh, If you really get lost you are in serious trouble there uh, you might be surrounded at all sides and it might be simply I I've, I've even seen mountain goats of shepherds who got lost from the crowd and who completely get stuck there uh, they they eventually will die not being able to get out of the, the places where they they ended up without being able to backtrack right so there's another question which says you know what's your family's reaction towards your life choices and lifestyle because i remember a few years back i had seen you you know uh, with your mother your mother was there in belgium i guess so what yeah. has been the family's reaction towards uh, life choices and this kind of lifestyle because i'm sure 
nobody supports this kind of a uh, <laughs> this kind of a lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, especially also being the only son, yeah, that's that makes it a little bit more tricky. Um, dad is no more, but mom mom is actually ninety years old, so still pretty healthy. Uh, recently got through corona, also strong lady. And uh, yeah, I mean, she's not fully aware what I'm doing. I don't give her the details, obviously, because that might not <laughs> be good at all. Right. <laughs> I share some of the nicer adventures and pictures over video calls in between. Uh, so being a little bit away from, I mean, the parents, at least, they don't say uh, she's there, I'm here. Uh, she doesn't know how long I'm going, where I'm going. She doesn't know where I connect with her on WhatsApp video. So I, I hide uh, the more uh, tricky situations, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah. then locally, I mean, I, I didn't settle down after all these years, not married yet, not planning to settle down. I cannot imagine myself being like a, uh, like a settler, not at this uh, age, maybe in another two, three decades. Uh, I might maybe become a farmer in one of those remote villages, maybe with your family. But as of now, I, I've tasted the freedom and there's nothing that can hold me back from that internal drive to live that adventure every day uh, instead of um, the daily routine of you know, doing the normal uh, corporates or live in, in a city, commuting in traffic and sitting in the cubicle. It wouldn't be possible anymore after this kind of exposure. Right. I think uh, Gunander will also get inspired after listening to this. <laughs> okay, next question is, what sort of thoughts and emotions occur to you once you're all alone in wilderness? And they've been, most of the times you're in those situations. So what do you think? Because there's nothing much to think in those places. Yeah, so the good thing is, I mean, you would say, uh, like, I mean, some athletes, I think they, re they reach the peak of their uh, sports career or whatever in their 20s or their 30s when they are young. And, and typically they go, it's all about speed and competition. When you talk about endurance, as you might know, like really long and extreme journeys, it's, it's more about experience and, and you only reach that yeah. kind of level at, at later age, I would say. I, I see people even in their 60s and 70s in the Himalayas, Europeans. I met a guy 78 years old who was doing some really challenging glacier traverses in Ladakh, uh, which wow. uh, made me realize that I still have another three decades to go. Uh, <laughs> but I feel one. actually every, as of now, I'm 48, and every year I feel stronger. Um, uh, at a certain level, you, you also know, right, it's, it's less physical and it's more mental. Many of the people who join me along the way, they don't fail physically, actually. They fail mentally because they cannot take it anymore in terms of the weather, in terms of the extremeness, uh, in terms of the altitude. So after now doing these uh, 150 passes, I think, which normally, even if somebody who goes regularly to the Himalayas, he might do 15 passes in a, in a complete lifetime. So you can imagine the experience that I've gained after 150 totally different passes, the kind of situation that I've gone through, which has built a lot of experience and confidence that you're now pretty solid in uh, even again as being solo and, and facing this kind of uh, extreme environment that uh, you're not easily shaken up anymore uh, even when last year I, I came like face to face with one of these black bears in those dense jungles of Uttarakhand okay that animal is there but okay uh, you're, you're just pretty cool that doesn't make me uh, uh, sweat or raise the heartbeat anymore it's just you take it as it comes you face it you assess the situation and uh, and also, I, I already covered the, the being alone part. I mean, I don't feel any, like, uncomfort or fear or a little bit hearing some sound in the darkness or uh, uh, some cracking, uh, some, some twig that cracks uh, just 20 meters from the place that I'm sleeping. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. It feels like home now, nature, the wild. It feels like the place that I am. And when I look up to that Milky Way and the sky there, it's like feels that you have some deeper connectivity with the cosmic, uh, the grander cosmic uh, thing, and and you're feeling very, very peaceful. Which that's the peacefulness that you can never exper experience is closer to like human settlements or with a group of people. Nice. Okay, so another interesting question from Nitin Mishra is, you know, how does it feel once you're back to the city after your trip? Because it must be totally different experience then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you already know how it is after a weekend. You know that it becomes a, a bigger uh, 
a bigger like it's almost like a drug addict right you're used to so much intensity and then getting back to that routine life it's it's really a nasty experience your your body is there but your mind and soul are still wandering in the mountains so and then doing this again for like five uh, it becomes only more intense the contrast you're really used to living in the mountains getting back to the city is is, is becomes a big adjustment so that's why i think it's it's probably time to move my base closer to the foothills of the himalayas Uh, hey. So, uh, yeah, and a lot of friends, right? Uh, the Chennai Trekking Club and uh, hundreds of people, thousands of people you know there. So it's always nice to also go for an ultra run once in the mountains like this weekend uh, with 20 people and enjoy the company. Uh, but then again, very soon, like you said, it really starts uh, eating inside of you that you'll start longing back to this uh, solo adventures uh, far away from uh, human, uh, uh, I mean, urban centers and, and in total peacefulness. Absolutely. Okay, next question is from Kevin. He wants to know, what is the suggestion you want to give for someone who wants to go for a uh, hiking for two weeks? You know, how should one train or plan about that? Because six months nobody can afford i mean yeah, yeah nobody can afford two weeks how would somebody do that yeah so i mean if, if you're talking i mean if you're talking about the himalayas of course it's all about the altitudes uh, you can have these people who are pretty good regular hikers in the western ghats but there it's about altitude eh? so acclimatization is, is important say above three thousand meters you should take it easy not to increase more than 500 meters a day uh, the weather typically, I mean, eh, whether you're from Mumbai, whether you're from Chitti, uh, Chennai, whether you're from Bangalore, uh, even Delhi, going through four or five thousand meters and this cold climate, the uh, nights, days are okay. I mean, you're anyway going pretty fast or you're going slow with your 25 kg of, kgs of luggage on your back. So you're sweating, you're burning a lot of calories, you burn a lot of, you know, your body's pretty heat. But as soon as the sun sets down and, and you're also stopped moving, it, it gets very cold. Uh, so that's what I've seen. I mean, many of the guys who join me sometimes in between, physically they are fit, but uh, they, they can take the extremity of the climates. And also they are not that, uh, that they have that same uh, solid food ground when you step on these um, loose creek, if you come down steeply on loose rocks or you have to right. close the wild streams. It's a little tricky. I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. It's more like a mental thing. It's not physical anymore. Physically, of course, first of all, you need to be physically fit. So you need to not directly step from just sitting six months in a cubicle doing nothing to uh, going on a two-week trek. You need to have that regular uh, routine. Uh, I mean, it's all about consistency. I, I would say rule number one is all about a regularity. Uh, doing this on a regular basis four or five times a week. You have to beat the sweat. You have to raise the heartbeat, uh, whatever it is. You go for a run. You go for a swim. You do a little bit of cycling, whatever, but you need to keep that body activated. Uh, so then only the physical level is in tune. But then the, the mental thing only comes with experience, I think, and, and, and more time spent in, in these extreme environments that you cannot really prepare uh, in, in, on a coastal uh, city at sea level, in a tropical climate, is stepping into this high altitude, uh, cold climate and extreme fast changing climate. So uh, first trip to the Himalayas typically is a bit of a shock, uh, but then it gets better as you, you keep going there. You typically anyway fall in love, so you keep going every year, and every year it gets better as you uh, your body gets more acclimatized to those kind of uh, weather. Right. So, Samrat, I guess this also answers your part of the question regarding acclimatization and avoiding AMSs to go slow and training well and do the same things, you know, repeatedly going there often would help. Okay, another question from Mahindra Mahajan is, you know, what is the maximum altitude in Trans-Himalayan trek which you would have done in the, while crossing those passes? Uh, so last year, I mean, I mostly focus on passes. I don't climb peaks, but last year I got tempted that so I was doing some passes in Ladakh, uh, okay. 30 passes looping around. So. I always kind of try to stitch it together that as you cover one pass that you quickly end up and you continue to the next pass in a Hello, hello. Yeah, I, I think he is disconnected. 
Yeah, I think it's got disconnected or maybe the phone's battery would have gone. So I think that was the last question we had. We had to thank him, which I'll do it separately now because it's already time and he's not around. So thank you so much, everyone. You know, a teacher's day like this, I've never had. There's been so much of learning from Peter and the kind of experiences he has, I'm sure I've not even heard anyone having, you know, these kind of experiences. So thank you so much for all of you to be here. And once again, happy Teacher's Day to you. Have a great time. And keep trying out various things. It's not easy to live a life like he's doing. Uh, I'm sure it's 99.9% .9 people would not afford a lifestyle like his. But then keep exploring, keep trying new things. And keep doing your job as well. You cannot leave your job and be like him. Try to make the most of it. Thank you so much, everyone. And it's been great hosting you. Great set of questions. See you next Saturday again, we have another uh, person. He's again a great guy, um, Marathon from Bangalore. So, see you next week. Thank you so much. Good night. Jai Hind.